This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Secret Emergency Bomb Plot, go! Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show where terrorism is sort of on the back burner. My name is Gep, when I'm joined as always, my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! This week we've got, yeah, this is the second Luxana episode. Yes. Uh, is it three or four? It's got, it's four or five. I can't remember how many she's in. Let's see. All right. Well, there's uh, the one with the, the, the Ferengi. Uh, there's, well, there's the first one. There's this one. Then there's the yes. Ferengi. Uh, there's the, the one where she's uh, uh, talking to the uh, people that are barely able to speak because they're all telepaths. Oh yeah, that one. That's a bad one. I keep forgetting about that one. <laughs> um, I actually kind of like that one. But anyway, <laughs> uh, there's got to be another one. Uh, no, there's at least two more because there's the yeah. there's the um, oh, what a, what's it called? There's the uh, euthanasia one. Oh yes, and, and then uh, there's the one where she's hanging out with Alexander. Ah uh, yeah, the, uh, the the weird uh, mud tub situation. Yeah, the mud tubs. Yes. <laughs> where uh wharf manages to be you know perfectly ahead above the mud level because you know you don't want to get the makeup messed up <laughs> <laughs> so there's at least yeah. six yeah so and then like three more for uh ds9 yeah which is basically one for each season so that's not bad yeah you know uh i, I guess uh you know when uh, me and uh, van uh, velding were uh, doing our uh, enterprise one uh, uh story pitches you know, uh, having Loxana show up, uh, you know, is part of the uh, everything happening that happens once a season episode, uh, you know, is apt. <laughs> <laughs> Almost once a season. I need to figure out which season she's not in now. Or if I'm mm. forgetting an episode. One of those two things is happening. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll figure it out. It's fine. Well, we got season one and season two checked off. So it's just you know, the other five we have to worry about. Yeah, it's unfortunate because we can't... Uh, Oh, wait, there it is. Appearances of Next Generation. I found it. <laughs> that was easy. Haven, Manhunt, Menage Troy. That's the one with the Ferengis. Half a Life. Yeah. Euthanasia. euthanasia. Cost of Living. And Dark Page. Mm -hmm. Oh, yep, we remembered them all. <laughs> Hooray. Uh, she, also, oh, well, she also shows up in an episode of Babylon 5, so we'll cut that as a number seven. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Out. i mean she's also the computer in literally every episode so yes <laughs> so we we got it yes uh she's also in uh, the interactive technical manual as the computer oh really i never yes. had that that would have been fun other video games of this era <laughs> anyway, this is this was written by tracy torme under the pseudonym terry oh no french De Devereux. 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 I'm getting better at reading French. <laughs> you you tend to ignore X's and R's near the end of words. You know, you know A-U-X is like, you know, a, 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 like the O sound. Oh. I just saw a video of French people trying to pronounce English, and now I no longer feel bad about not being able to pronounce French. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you know, language barriers, they go both ways, you know? <laughs> There's very few languages where, you know, someone speaking the other language finds it super easy to pronounce something else. Um, of course, he was the story editor for first and second season, so shows up a lot. Also wrote the previous Luxana episode. And uh, I guess there's also Belinda Snodgrass as a story editor. So yeah, there's multiple yeah. inputs here. And Hans Miemler and Richard Manning. There's too is... many writers when we get to this era. So yes. <laughs> I just have to pick whoever's credited first. And, yes. Or co-written, etc. You know, it's it's a bad system. It's a, it's the system I came up with and the one I'm sticking to, but it's not a good system. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll maybe evolve at some point, but not for a good long while. So you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, so of course, Mejil Barrett is playing Luxana Troy. Uh, if you don't know who she is at this point, I don't know why you're here. Yes. So. <laughs> There's a Mr. Holm. Yeah. We're, trying, <laughs> did I write his name wrong? Carl. Carol uh, Strucken. There we go, Carol. Yeah, Carol Strucken is playing Mr. Holm. Uh, he was also in Haven as Mr. Holm. He's well known as the giant 
fireman in Twin Peaks, which I've never seen. He's <laughs> the guy that plays tall people yes. in the 80s and 90s. That's what, what he does. <laughs> he's super tall. He's got kind of a, a bony uh, facial structure thing going on. And, uh, you know, he's a, a very colorful character in this episode. Yes. He's, he's, he's the life of the party, really. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he was also in the, like, Adams families from this era. Because, of course. Yes. yes uh, Larch. And uh, finally, even though there's a lot of weird other side characters, and we'll mention, like, we've got a few quick people to mention who don't really have lines much. Rod Arntz is playing Rex, who uh, shows up near the end. So I got a good number of roles in daytime shows, like Young and the Restless and Days of Our Lives and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in several movies, Dark Planet, where he plays someone called Alpha Male 2, which I just liked as a credit. <laughs> So it's an alpha version male. Got it. <laughs> I also just love the idea. Like this, this predates most of our stupid internet today alpha male discourse. Mm-hmm. But the idea that you have alpha male two, yes, the, that kind of just 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 goes against the whole thing. The second second in line alpha male. Oh, well, it's 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 the version numbers as I was implying. You know, yeah. uh, you know, you got you know the the one point versions, the two point version. Yeah, they just dropped the point because you know. You can't really have like fractional people yeah that's true i mean maybe you can <laughs> in the dark future of dark planet whatever that was uh, uh he also shows up again in uh, voyager uh as a, a a mr hansen in rent and is in uh, uh something called the darwin awards oh yeah that was not a good <laughs> i never saw it but i remember that being mentioned as kind of a not good movie yeah. <laughs> well, there is uh, one other uh, sort of s- secret guest star today. Well, I've got quick mentions. I've got some Go quick it. mentions <laughs> that we're not done with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, because I just thought it was interesting because we've got a few people who are playing like side characters. We've got mm-hmm. uh, Robert Costanzo, who is playing, is playing Slade Bender. Like, there's, there's a lot of weird people who show up near the end. You know, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But he's uh, known seen before. Yeah, yeah, we've <laughs> seen before. That's true. He was in the other holodeck thing, wasn't he? Oh no, no, we've seen him before in a movie. Wait, did we? No, I did. Now I need to look this up again because I forgot uh, uh, this. To- Total Recall. Oh yeah, he was Harry. In Total Recall as the agent. <laughs> agent Harry. I liked that. Uh, I liked that. I found that now he's. Um, most frequently used as a voice double for Danny DeVito. Ah. Which I thought was funny. He's someone with the right accent. Uh, close it off. <laughs> and uh, Robert O'Reilly, who, uh, who's playing Scarface, who I like to mention because he later plays the uh, Klingon... Gowrod! Plays the Klingon leader, Galron, who, you know, is pretty important later on yes. <laughs> shows up now playing a random holiday gangster yes uh, i believe uh you know he'll, he'll show up uh, next season as gowron uh, but uh, uh that plot thread actually i think starts the next episode technically but anywho <laughs> yeah i mean the plot threads dropped but um yeah gowron doesn't show up for a bit yes <laughs> but he shows up uh, here as secret holodeck man Yes, and uh, he's doing his whole eyeball thing where he's just like, oh, my eyes are huge. <laughs> and finally, do you want to do you want to do you want to drop the secret guest star? Uh, I should have brought some lyrics here. Uh, but, uh, uh, the, so there's this band that uh, has this guy's name in it. And uh, his, his uh, first name is Mick, not Mac, because <laughs> otherwise it'd just be named after him. <laughs> yeah, but backward, which would be, which yes. would be fun. <laughs> Yeah, Mick Fleetwood from uh, Fleetwood Mac is an uh, Antedan uh, dignitary, uh, aka one of the the weird fish people type folks. Yeah, who who just stands, yes. just stands there. <laughs> we don't need you to act. Uh, put some makeup on, shave your beard, you know that sort of thing. So that's fun. I did, yeah, I I'm sure that I could find a Fleetwood Mac song and I would know it. But as of yes. right now, I'm having trouble having one come to mind. <laughs> Uh, give me a moment here. Give me a moment. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, uh, go your own way. Oh, that one. Uh, there we go. Yes. Uh, uh, it's a, 
You can go your own way, go your own way. You can call it another lonely day. You can go your own way, go your own way. It's on Rock Band. <laughs> yeah, that one I remember. <laughs> Fifty greatest songs. Can can it have, who who can tell that we don't have anything to talk about with this episode yet? <laughs> also, I'm tired. Well, we, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. We can, uh, well, Mick Fleetwood does show up in other things as an actor. Yeah, like I, uh, it's buried like, uh, in his uh, in his filmography here. But yes, like uh, he was a bartender in Burning Down the House, uh, an unemployed band member. Uh oh, and uh, get a job. Uh, a <laughs> bunch of Fleetwood Mac related stuff, of course. Uh, this episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, there was also uh, he was also Mick in The Running Man. Oh, really? Yes, I don't remember which character that is. One of these days we're going to have to engage with that. Yes. <laughs> just one of those movies that just keeps kind of coming up sort of as a uh, a thorough put for a lot of other uh, folks we run into here. I know exactly one thing about The Running Man, and it's that they changed the age that you have to do the thing from the book so that they could get the actor in there. Uh, are, you, uh, are you sure you're not confusing the slogans run? Maybe. Oh yeah, Running Man is a different thing, isn't it? Yes, uh, the Running Man is uh, uh, Schwarzenegger's That's like the game show thing, yeah. isn't it? Yes. There we go. Yeah, I am confusing the two running movies. The Running Man is a little bit later than Logan's Run. Logan's Run is very seventies. <laughs> there we go. Eight. Yeah, that's true. Nineteen eighties. You weren't making things like that. And we're gonna walk down a hallway, and it's like a drug trip because it's the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the running man's like, oh, no, we're going to have a big, uh, you know, fight and people are going to be dying because this is a Schwarzenegger action movie in the 80s. <laughs> Anywho. Oh, Lawsuit to Terror in the movie was plagiarized from the French movie Pricks Do Danger. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> anyway, we have Star Trek things. Star Trek. So the Enterprise has been tasked with uh, transporting dignitaries to a conference to discuss Federation membership. So oh, that's cool. For that, they beam aboard two fish dudes who are asleep because uh, they don't like space travel. So they put <laughs> themselves into a canatotic state for several days so that they can just sleep through the entire thing. Oh, well, yeah, I guess that you know kind of works. But this is kind of a short trip. Uh, maybe they're used to like low warp ships or something like that you know it's like yeah it's gonna take us you know three years to get anywhere interesting uh warp one so <laughs> <laughs> they just hate it that much apparently ah yeah. <laughs> oh, the the warp core just gives us a headache there <laughs> but it's that would be a kind of an interesting thing to explore is like a species that hates space travel so much that they have to do things like this trying to join the interstellar community like we have the technology uh you know basics down to be able to like even talk to you guys and we like to be part of your community but we don't want to go anywhere <laughs> <laughs> they also travel with large barrels of fish because they want to eat it when they wake up so uh, we got like one of those uh soda uh containers you sometimes see at like big events and things like that where there's just a bunch of them in the in the ice there mm -hmm. so it's full of like i don't know uh cut up fish or something I yeah. guess that's agitated a bit so it looks like it's moving yeah. yes on the bridge wesley admits thinking the antedans look strange data calls him out for being judgy yep yeah. <laughs> wesley stop being judgy he calls it already this season judging something by its physical appearance is the last major human prejudice well i i hope that's true because uh, that means we got rid of like all the other ones yeah i mean it's it's one of the main human prejudices overall so yeah, but we're making progress, right? <laughs> you might think of it as like the 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 like quite essential human prejudice, actually. Yes. <laughs> anyway, Troy like interrupts the thing because she senses something incredibly disturbing that fills her with horror. Her mother. Oh no! <laughs> there's a there's a, a presence approaching. Uh, Captain, open all your phasers at it. Oh, it's my mom. <laughs> fire, fire at the ship. She's coming. Now, I, I do appreciate uh, when they get her on the view screen. Uh, you know, the, there's the shuttle pilot there talking, and then she kind of, you know, you know, butts in and's like, you know, well, hey. <laughs> the pilot's like, ah. <laughs> so Alexana approaches on a shuttle craft. 
carrying orders that grant her full diplomatic privileges of an ambassador of Beta Z. Hmm. Cool. Wow, she got, yeah. she like got promoted or something. And she's apparently nobility. They never talk about it. Yes. We know nothing about Beta Z or their culture, but she keeps talking about how big a deal she is. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I got the uh, the sacred chalice and the rings and other cool house stuff going on. Yeah. So yeah. She beams aboard along with Mr. Holmes. She wants Picard to carry her luggage, but he knows better this time. And uh, mm-hmm. Riker does it. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a, a bit of a repeat of the, uh, the the same gag from the last time she showed. And, uh, you know, this time Riker's having the, you know, the troubles. <laughs> mm-hmm. She invites Picard to a diplomatic dinner. Then Lexana and Troy have one of their telepathic talk about how men are commodities. That's a little awkward. Uh, uh yeah also picard is in his dress skint for this one so he's wearing just tights yes so uh, you know this sort of the, the big jacket that's extra long and then you got your tights on so you can really show off those uh those uh those legs there i was gonna say uh, those uh, those yams but you know <laughs> only the lower half of your legs this is this is much longer than the normal skins you see around yes <laughs> So Picard heads to dinner, not realizing he's been invited to dine alone. Not exactly diplomatic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he passes Pelosi, uh, you know, Pulaski in the uh, in the uh, the hall, and she's like, "What? Uh, what dinner? I already ate. Uh, bye." <laughs> well, I'm just thinking. Well, hmm. I'm, I'm sort of th- thinking at that point that Pulaski already knows what's going on, and she's just getting out of being Picard's number two here. <laughs> yeah, she does seem to. She's knowingly, <laughs> yes. knowing looks are happening. Yes. <laughs> so Alexana keeps trying to flirt with Picard and to get him out of it. Picard has the has the genius idea to invite Data to join them because he's so legendarily stimulating at dinner conversation. Yes, uh, all his his anecdotes about all sorts of random stuff. Yeah, he can go on, on about those for days. In fact, which uh, turns out to be like several scientific and mathematical lectures. Yes. <laughs> Because uh, if you uh, let data just sort of stream of consciousness, he'll just kind of tell you everything. <laughs> I mean, it's it, they show him being a pretty good public speaker. Just just people don't want to hear scientific lectures all the time. Yes. Now, uh, they do uh, technically start off with a, a cultural comparison stuff about uh, the whole little weird chime thing that Mr. Hom keeps hitting. Mm-hmm. That's like, you know, we're thinking, you know, something for the food we're eating by each bite. We're having a tone. Uh, and yeah, you know, Picard's like, oh, you know what? You know, this thing that kind of bugs me. Uh, yeah, this is reminds me of all these other things. But maybe this is someone else who has more of an expertise on this. Hey, Data, get down here quick. <laughs> yeah, and then he has different cultural practices. My favorite are the people who bang rocks together and have to keep eating until one of the rocks breaks. <laughs> it's like, what if you run out of food? You eat the rocks. So Pulaski runs into Troy, who explains that her mother is entering midlife. Which for Betazoids means they get really, really horny. Yes, like over the, the top, like you, 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 you're not going to survive this sort of uh, intensities levels. And Pulaski thinks that Picard will get some good exercise from that. <laughs> he keeps ducking, uh, you know, having his physical, so eh, I'll get him to exercise one way or another. So Troy heads to her mother's quarters and winds up saving her from Data's uh, orientation of two closely orbiting moons. <laughs> which does look kind of interesting yeah i guess it's like you, know, you got moons basically switching orbits that's that's kind of cool actually also uh saving picard who uses an excuse to run away oh yes um i have a uh, board to uh, give diplomatic meetings to bye so troy decides that it's time to warn picard about what's going on and she and Riker explain that during this time betazoid women's sex drive can quadruple or more yes and uh R- riker's like oh oh my and then he's like all s- grins and smirks after mm-hmm. that <laughs> they have a good scene so you didn't tell me that so i didn't want to scare you the only dignified option open to a betazoid woman in this stage is to pick a male and put all of her horniness onto him and then marry him if you're uh, receptive uh then you know you basically got oh, oh you know someone who's going to uh 
be really into you for a good long while and uh, might, you know, leave you... Uh, remember that one episode of, of the Futurama where they went to the Amazon planet <laughs> and they found the skeletons with, uh, you know, uh, shattered pelvises? Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't, don't start. The internet is too horny already. Which, you know, I generally approve of, but, you know, I don't necessarily need to add to it. (laughs) (laughs) So Picard thinks it's probably a really good idea for him to remain unavailable for the foreseeable future. Probably safer for your health that way. So to that end, he heads to Holodeck and goes into the Dixon Hill program because apparently they did not get PTSD from the last time. Like just as long as I don't run into that cop friend of mine, uh, because then he might, like, tell me about the horrors of being non-existence for a year. Yeah. It is it is really weird how they like almost die in the holodeck all the time and then go back to exactly the same thing like the next week. It's like this this <laughs> yes. is fine. Well, I guess in Picard's case he maybe took a break after that last incident. <laughs> Hill's office is visited by a man called Slade who tries to kill him. Picard stops the program, tells the computer to give him more ambiance and less violence. So a scarred man shows up and threatens him very aggressively. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, about that ambiance, I guess there's going to be violence one way or another. <laughs> the guard tries to explain again, and this time a man just busts in and pulls out a machine gun. <laughs> it's like, computer, come on. <laughs> We're not really talking here, are we? All right. Uh, Do I have to lay out all the parameters here? The computer goes, we are limited by the confines of the Dixon Hill universe, which means you are going to be shot. Yes. So, uh, you know, learn to dodge bullets or something, Picard. Go. And Pulaski's like, remember that one way or another? <laughs> <laughs> so Asana wanders around the ship for a bit. She uh, sizes up Worf, but she likes humans too much. And uh, Wesley, thankfully, is too young. We, we yes. should not entertain this idea. Yes, uh, I, I do kind of appreciate uh, several uh, uh, bits of this particular scene because Worf's like, look, get the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the fish alien guys there. And she's like, they're so handsome. And you know, it's like, all right, well, I guess, uh, you know, different aesthetics and things like that. You know, uh, Wesley kind of finds them awkward looking and unappealing. While, you know, Worf's like, their head ridges are huge. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, when they're on their way out, uh, you know, uh, Luxana's like, hey, uh, so who's next? And Mr. Hom, without saying anything, because he never s- speaks, uh, sort of does this thing over his eyes. And she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Jordy's not in this episode, but we kind of got who's you know, you know talking, you know, mm. sort of suggesting. <laughs> yeah, she has to go through every man on the ship, including ones who aren't here. Yes. <laughs> so in the meantime, Picard heads to the holographic bar in the Dixon Hill place, which is run by a dude named Rex. He also takes his secretary, and they all talk about the future, which means uh, World War Two. Mm-hmm. So and how uh, Rex you know. is being threatened or something—it's not very important. Yeah, there's uh, someone who's uh, out of prison now that he and Dix, uh, you know, put in jail because their testimony. And also Picard's talking about things that will happen later in World War Two because this is 1941 and sometime in the fall. And, you know, you know, we haven't quite had that Pearl Harbor thing happen yet. Um, so, yeah, they're kind of confused by that. But eh, it's all yeah. cool. Yeah, it doesn't matter because they're not real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's not breaking temporal whatever whatever though they should maybe practice a little more yes this might be a great way uh, to use the holodeck actually you know we're going to you know simulate you being in some random time period you need to figure out when you are uh where you are and what not to say as quickly as possible go so Alexana waltzes onto the bridge to announce that she's now going to marry Riker. Uh, much to his surprise. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> excuse me? In sick bay, the Antedians are starting to wake up. Uh, it's going to be a little while until they're fully awake, which you should tell the captain. Uh, Data asks if he can come to the holodeck with Riker, and when they arrive, Data is wearing a full suit because he just loves this stuff. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, Brent Spiner, you know, doing uh, dress-ups, you know, probably something he enjoys too. So they're about to leave, but Rex convinces them all to stay for one more round and hang around for a bit while the Antedians wake up and eat their barrel of fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lexana's trying on dresses that she decides she needs to show Riker her outfit and asks the computer where he is, which is, of course, the holodeck. She mm-hmm. finds him at the bar and is, you know, doesn't like that they're all just hanging out without her. Yeah. And also, Picard, this is, this is what you're doing on ship's business. 
hanging out at some weird bar with all dust everywhere? Jeepers. She is disappointed in them and calls off her engagement immediately. Oh my God. And then starts to flirt with Rex. And yes. is surprised to find that she can't read his thoughts. So he's like a mystery and it's fun and intriguing. And uh, unlike Data, you know, Rex doesn't seem to be interested in uh, giving her lecture on, uh, you know, uh, te- uh, you know, astral mechanics and things like that. Yeah. So uh, they head off and they decide that they'll just uh, leave her here for a minute. She'll, she seems to be having fun. So it's all cool. Well, they do eventually have to tell her and leave because the beta void government wants them to be delivered to the conference. So, you know, have to get her away from the holodeck. So, you know, it's uh, time to get you beeped down. And also, you know, we should probably mention that, you know, Rex isn't actually anything but a computer program. Yeah. She gets a little upset that, that they let her talk to a computer for so long, but she gets over it. It's fine. Uh, she has the transporter and is surprised to see that the Antedians are still there because they are so obviously assassins that plan to blow up the conference with the explosive lining of their clothes. Oh, w- wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what, didn't you all know this? <laughs> no. <laughs> you guys would have figured this out by now. Jeepers. Their minds are so easy to read. Data confirms with the scanners and they are arrested. Luxana's star, she didn't find a mate, but at least now she is a hero, so it all mm-hmm. evens out. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh yeah, I just casually, you know, solve the whole co- being murdered at the conference problem. You know, it's fine. <laughs> and she beams down with her usual jab at Picard. Yes, it's like, oh, you're thinking so many dirty, dirty thoughts, Picard. <laughs> oh! Was that too much? <laughs> a little bit. That's fine. Some, <laughs> someone could clip that. Someone will clip that. Yeah. So... We fly off away from Pacifica. Wait a moment. Pacifica, that's the, the planet where they have the conference, right? Yeah. Wasn't, weren't we supposed to go there and like, uh, how a conspiracy or something like that? And you know, we never made it because, you know, suddenly the Federation's being taken over by, uh, you know, weird parasites. Huh. I guess that means we'll eventually reach every planet we, you know, casually mention, you know, that never reach. I mean, they've just got a few, like... They've just got a few planets, and they just keep naming them, which is nice. You know, you, you don't have to make up a new planet every time. It's like, oh, you know, we're going back to Babel, or we're going back to Parliament, or we're going back to Pacifica. Hooray! Yeah, you need these, these since, since every planet is one town, mm-hmm. you kind of just have to travel around a lot to get to your conferences. Yes. <laughs> and hopefully you don't have uh, fish guys with, you know, weird explosives in there, you know, uh, weird... Uh, capes uh robes whatever they want to call them there <laughs> yeah i don't know what you would call that robe i guess it's a robe looks kind of like a robe it's like uh you're kind of this uh wide shapeless tube thing. shirt yeah shapeless tubes <laughs> with a dress it's like stacked shapeless tubes <laughs> that's fun though you know. yeah yeah oh, so star trek <laughs> And this episode, like, it's always fun when Luxana shows up. It's always a good episode when Luxana shows up. But uh, th- there's show. nothing else happening. Yes. <laughs> uh, this is, I guess, one of the earlier examples of episodes uh, of the series where there's not a big bad, a big dilemma. You know, we're just kind of having some social hangout time here. And maybe something weird happens, you know, you know, other times it's like, you know, we just kind of doing stuff here. And yeah, there's technically a, a big plot thing that we have to resolve. But, you know, we kind of put that aside because it's not actually the bait for the rest of the episode. Yeah, I do enjoy the little slice of life things. Mm-hmm. It does somewhat, I don't know, get get into some weird places because they don't want to examine anything they're doing. Oh. Because, no, like, uh, so, like, I guess you've gotten far enough in the future where you uh, no longer have gender inequality to the point where sexual assault is not a thing. And so no one's particularly worried about the fact that she wants to go sexually harass a bunch of people. Yeah, so it's like, uh, wait, we don't know how to deal with this because, you know, we're, we're generally chill. So, ah. So that could have been an interesting, interesting way to go, right? Because 
they keep having various original series episodes where they have ridiculous conversations like racism i think i read about that in our history books yes <laughs> it was it sounded very silly so we don't do it anymore why are you guys racist <laughs> so they don't really um comment on it much but i suppose you can read this as a sexual assault what's that <laughs> kind of uh but you know it's it's, it's unfortunately one of those things that's probably going to be, you know, uh, a unfortunate thing for quite some time in the future, just because reality is messy and there are some really, you know, awful people out there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, having a, a massive change in our society will only help with that sort of problem at uh, a certain degree. <laughs> and, you know, maybe it's pushed it to that degree enough in the Star Trek universe that it does seem like an unheard of sort of thing, which I guess might also explain some of the other weird things that kind of crop up throughout the series. As and uh, like, I'm thinking back to the child, where it's like, yeah, Diana has been assaulted here. This is really not cool, but we're kind of not really dwelling on that because I guess we don't know how to process that information <laughs> at this point in the future. Eh. Well, the, uh, the kind of particular issue that you wind up with in this kind of thing, because it's not a bad notion to have a here's a future society in which our modern problems are so unusual that they don't even enter anyone's minds. Mm -hmm. But that butts up against what you're getting from a storytelling context. Because when you, of course, in a you know quote-unquote real world future like no one would need to mention something that doesn't exist so in that way that's very realistic but in a storytelling area just because something is not mentioned you cannot necessarily make the assumption that it does not exist because Indeed. there's lots of stuff off screen that's never mentioned that may or may not exist so if you're trying to make a commentary on how something that is very common today no longer exists in the future, you kind of do need to specifically call out that it doesn't exist. Because you could look at all kinds of examples of things that probably don't exist in the Star Trek future. Like toilets. Yes. <laughs> because you don't see one on screen. But like it's kind of ridiculous. You just assume that they're there, even though they're not showing them to you. But if you use the logic of anything that you're not seeing doesn't exist, then there's a lot of stuff that doesn't exist, in fact. So you kind of have to specifically call out what does or does not exist. Indeed. Uh, I guess, you know, this uh, does and does not exist sort of general problem is also one of the uh, things that, I guess, kind of drives me off the wall with uh, folks that obsess about canon and, and like that, yeah, there's probably a lot more going on in this universe than is shown on screen, and just pretending that all the things that ever matter are the only th are are just the things that we see is a little short-sighted. This, you know, we are entering a, a full uh, universe here. It's not a slideshow of everything that you have to, you know, that you that will ever be here. So having something new crop up, that's allowed because you know just because it was never mentioned before, that might be because no one thought it necessary to mention it <laughs> yeah i mean i think so, the the frustration that i can see like some people it's the canon argument is just a i have memorized more of this show than you and i want to show off yeah. yes <laughs> uh, but as far as i can see the actual like frustration that it is expressing is um the same problem that i have with a lot of modern shows which is why are we rating the same thing again, but slightly different? Mm -hmm. Like, Even if you want to make something else set in the Star Trek universe, which I don't know why you would, you could make your own sci-fi thing. The I only have. reason we're doing it is for name recognition. Yes. <laughs> but then you put exactly the same characters in it, and you get a bit of a problem because like i don't i don't love that kirk keeps showing up in strange new worlds i get that he would be running around at the time but now you have weird kirk contradictions and that's what people are complaining about why did you put kirk in your thing again 
Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, and you're never going to do it well. So why did you try to do this stupid thing? If you're going to be you know, a continuity hound where you're going to make you know full use of everything, you you could make full use of it, but still be subtle and you know being you know reserved while making uh, use of all the uh, you know elements you have available. And you know, there's definitely a point where you can kind of overplay things. Yeah, even I got mad at the, uh, even I got mad at the stupid stuff with Guinan in that they did in Star Trek Picard. And I uh, usually, and I don't care about this stuff at all. Yeah. <laughs> like when like, he hey. shows up, it's like I don't know you. It's like no, no, you do know him. <laughs> you met him a like, hundred freaking years ago. <laughs> well, maybe that's. A half continuity divergent. Ah, <laughs> oh my gosh! Time travel is annoying in Star Trek. <laughs> we'll, we'll just timey wimey wibbly wobbly, and it's all fine here, I guess. Right? <laughs> Except she remembers in the future all of a sudden. Yes. Is that how time travel in Star Trek works? Nobody can remember it happened until after it happened, and then they remember that it did happen. Well, that uh, does kind of work in Doctor Who, so if we're going the timey-wimey stuff, we can just keep borrowing the rules. So, mm. <laughs> unless it's a time crash, then that's different. Then you can use uh, previous knowledge for your uh, present self in order to uh, handle the previous problem that your previous self was unable to handle because you had time to figure it out. Yeah, you can't cross back over your own timeline without causing problems unless you need to for story reasons, and then you totally can Yes, uh, the I, I guess the only uh, exception to that is the uh, uh, hard uh, um, uh, mechanical, uh, you know, uh, timeline sort of stuff here, where uh, you know you go back in the past because you were destined to effectively because you did go to the past and you might not remember what happened in the past because you haven't experienced that, but we have all the evidence of everything you did here, and so no matter what you do, you will do these things, and well. Be upset about it all you like, but sorry. It's oh, that's happen. just the predestination paradox theory yes. of time travel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so you're you're eventually going to have Data's head in that cave sometime. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, this this episode wasn't about time travel. Not even a Not little yet. bit. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't think Luxana shows up in any time travel episodes. So No. Yeah, lucky her. And like as much as I would like our as much as I would like our reunion of uh, young Loxana, Nurse Chapel and Number One to to mm-hmm. all hang out, like it would it would not it would it would still just be such fan service it would tick me off anyway. I'm trying to remember if uh, they've mentioned the Betazoids uh, at all in Strange New Worlds. No, the Betazoids seem like they exclusively almost exclusively exist in the uh, '90s Star Trek timeline. Yeah. <laughs> And only in like two, because they I think they mention Betazoids occasionally in uh they mention Betazoids in Voyager, but since they're so far away they don't have a lot of reason to do much with it, you know. Well they did have uh Suter, uh, yeah, who was they've a got the half Betazoid. Isn't and, uh, he half? I thought he was half. I, or is he full? I think he was full Betazoid, but not too much uh powerful in terms of telepathic abilities. Mm. You know. He just liked to kill people. <laughs> yeah, we don't get a lot of uh you know, we don't we don't get a lot of detail on the Betazoids, how they work. Do they have to practice? I assume so, probably. Uh, at least in terms of uh, being able to mesh minds with other folks in an effective fashion. Yeah, that's you probably know. why Luxana is such a big deal. She's obviously very good at telepathing. Yeah, she's like kind of one of the point people in that one uh, later episode, uh, Dark Page, because uh, you know. Yeah, like these guys is uh, you know their telop- uh, telepathy is so advanced that very few people in the Federation can communicate with them in the any uh, uh, form here. Uh, so you know, Loxana, you're like the one of the few people that's like ambassador rated that can do this. So go for it. That's such a side plot. I'm surprised that's the part of that episode you remember. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember too many random things. Some of them useful, some of them not. <laughs> anyway, I guess we could also have the that that, that is an interesting. Uh, other little unintended uh, consequence of this episode is we know that Beta Z culture highly values monogamy. Yes. Uh, they might have some intensity on that front, but they are very much a uh, 
you know, once you go all in, you go all in. Yeah, because the the very obvious solution to someone being overly horny in a, you know, non non sex shame future would mm-hmm. just be being with whoever else happens to be horny at the same time and uh, it wouldn't really matter yes so you know it's like all right so our options are you know basically uh do the okana thing where we just kind of show up and say hey beautiful what's up mm-hmm. uh or uh we you know we get married and loxon is like i'm getting married damn it <laughs> and that's like most of her plots for the next few you know few years so. yes that's the only thing they know how to do with her character unfortunately you know, there are, you know, some exceptions, but yeah, that seems to be the uh, the dominating force overall. So as much as I like her as a character, it's unfortunate that they made that her entire character. Yeah, it does end up with some interesting stuff uh, with you know, in the, you know, DS9, uh, you, know, o- you know, sort of relationship with Odo there. It's like, you know, this is not really something that, you know, uh, Odo's really interested in, you know, reciprocating here. But once again, she's finding someone that she can't telepathically read, and that's really intriguing to her, like like in Rex, uh, this episode here. Mm. So it is kind of building things that are, uh, you know, character, uh, uh, you know, important for her that will uh, pay off later. Which I always thought was interesting. They never really, uh, they never really go into that in a lot of media, just how much that would be a thing. If you can instantly know what anybody's thinking at any time, someone that you can't and have to interact with like a normal person, you would have to, uh, you would have to, like, decide how your society handles that, actually. Because they, they keep focusing on it as, a, oh, you're a mystery and that's great and I can, I can interact with you. But it could very equally freak you the hell out. What is this? Abomination! I, we see how, um,. We see how Troy reacts to this later during her I am disabled episode, which is uh, uh, disabled people don't like particularly. Yeah, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. But the main thing that actually, (laughs) uh, the thing that actually uh, ties in here is that she doesn't like that she can no longer read people. She, she mm-hmm. in fact, gets weird and startled, which actually makes sense that, that yes. she gets startled when someone who she can't telepathically read walks up. But uh, that's not something like Saksana ever does. I guess she trained herself to have better hearing or something. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, in terms of, uh, I guess the general vibe I get at this point in the series is that, you know, uh, Betazoids are, you know, potentially a very intense sort of uh, people here in, in terms of uh, both being... Uh, talkative, be it verbally or telepathically, uh, or they are, you know, and and uh, you know, and they are very, I guess, direct as well. Uh, and so, what you're going to say verbally, what you're thinking, are generally going to be in, you know, the same sort of uh, uh, territory. But uh, in terms of uh, Loxana specifically, you know, she has some intrigue, you know, an interest with uh, human men. Uh, because, well, humans don't necessarily operate like Betazoid guys do. Uh, and so you got a situation where someone, you know, d- you know, is maybe mulling over what they're going to say before they say it, as opposed to just sort of letting it go out. Uh, and so you get the sort of uh, things like, hmm, which one is, she, is he going to choose here? And so there's maybe some interest in that uncertainty of what the uh, selected communication is going to be. Uh, and then when you run into someone you can't read entirely, it's like, well, it's like that, but more so because I don't get the sort of, you know, half commentary about what the possibilities are beforehand. I just get what's being said. Well, see, that's an interesting one. Either she, either there's something like that where she has a fascination with how the way humans think, or in which case she's, I guess, is just a human chaser. Yeah, which is cool. Or uh, she actually doesn't think well for other beta zeds. <laughs> like she, uh, she might be an ost- ostracized amongst other people who can also read minds, which is why she hangs out with humans so dang much. <laughs> it's like 
It's like, yeah, being direct and honest is great and all, but <laughs> sometimes there's still too much honesty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't know. She could be lying about everything. If there's only one person True. on the ship who can telepathically communicate with her. True. Yeah, the, uh, the Vulcans are all hiding, so, you know. It is somewhat interesting every time that they do the Beta Z so far, which is not often. We see, like, five through the series. <laughs> but uh, We've already talked about two of them. Well, yeah. three is counting on well, it's just interesting to have a uh, oh that that version of telepathy because I've seen they had the other one I think on Voyager for one episode the you have to keep all your thoughts incredibly locked down because you know people can read your thoughts and you don't want to think anything rude mm-hmm. or you have okay. what it seems to be the Beta Z version which is there's no point in hiding anything from anyone ever so you know just be yourself and let things roll and you know if that's a problem you'll figure it out that's probably why suitors like i'm gonna go jo- join the maquis bye yeah <laughs> check this maybe leads to some interesting dynamics in terms of betazoid you know uh, as a culture interacting with the wider galaxy that there might be plenty of folks that are super cool with just hanging out with other betazoids but you know the the sort of social outcasts or those who find you know the usual society that they have there annoying in some fashion uh, are going to seek you know you know uh, company uh, uh, you know companionship etc uh, with those well outside the betazoid sort of uh, core sphere there uh, you know they might spend a lot of time still in it but in terms of those they you know are opening up to finding uh, getting in close relationships they maybe want someone who's a little you know either very different like themselves in this sort of uh, mentality or someone who is not a betazoid the uh, other thing of, yeah. that you could kind of read with something like Suter too is uh, the extreme empathy that that would give you and how that led him to terrorism <laughs> it's like all right i'm hanging out with these guys here oh they're really pissed out about these uh cardassians like shooting their friends maybe i should like help them or something like that yeah yeah seems like a good idea and yeah. hey, uh, I get something out of it too. Hooray! <laughs> I guess there's also like um, Tam Elbram, uh, the uh, guy that shows up in the uh, Tin Man episode later, uh, who's like, their telepathy is like cranked up so, you know, high that it, you know, they're unable to deal with their own society because, you know, you know you're not necessarily getting just the folks right around you, but everyone within like a th- thousand mile radius here. You're getting all their thoughts uh, simultaneously, and that can be a, a little overwhelming. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. So I guess, like, spoilers for that episode. Is yeah. we're pro- that's, <laughs> like, them writing about autism before anyone was talking about autism. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah, you, sensory overload there. And, uh, you know, you maybe, uh, you, know, you know, that's another sort of, uh, I guess, uh, I guess a, a, a group classification, whatever you want to call it, of uh, folks that might... Uh, not stick around on Beta Zoid, uh, uh, Beta Z because you know, uh, the, the the their society's not well built for those uh, outside the uh, the core norms. There, it is kind of an interesting thing to think about, though, with the little bit that you get about Beta Zoid culture being so incredibly open and and honest, and you know, no point of uh, no point in hiding anything. Keep your emotions on your sleeve because people are going to know what you're thinking about anyway. Mm-hmm. That being paired with what seems to be a weird, almost religious obsession with monogamy, is an interesting is an interesting thing to put forward. Because does does that mean that they that they are not okay with, with like being attracted to other people? Do you have to like make sure you never think about anybody else when you're when you're in a relationship because someone would be able to read minds and tell? Or maybe they uh, they sort of use that as a, a, I guess, an incentive to be more attractive to their mates. It's like, hmm, you seem to be looking at someone else. I need to up my game, don't I? <laughs> it seems like a culture that both can can read minds and values extreme honesty and seems to value some fairly locked down version of monogamy is just, just waiting for some weird, like... Inner, inner relationship jealousy and problems indeed doesn't seem like two things that can that can fully mesh well within a society well i guess uh the last uh i guess refuge for uh 
this train of thought to have them not fall apart at some point on this uh, is an alien way of thinking, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it just is inconceivable that, you know, you might, you know, you, you, you would you know, definitely be happy to, to, to look at others, but you, uh, as far as like actually uh, hooking up with someone else outside your marriage, no, that's, that's impossible. That's absurd. Come on. Yeah. No one would ever think of doing that. They don't have extramarital extramarital sex but they do think about it all the time it's like yes. oh yeah that person is attractive let's both think about it and get really yes. freaky yes <laughs> so yeah you, you know uh you can have some uh some special bonding sort of stuff there and uh yeah you're both uh, telepaths so you can share all your favorite things you also do wonder what the range on this telepathy is because like troy can sense that her mother's coming from a from a literal other spaceship yes but then and, uh, it's implied earlier that in the, in the Tin Man episode that that's not like being able to sense people that far out is not necessarily normal. Well, I guess there's a you know, the the Tin Man uh, situation is like like dozens of light years. While this is like you know maybe like an astronomical unit away when when the shuttle's first showing up. Yeah, uh, but he can sense so. every single person on the ship, which seems to be implied to be abnormal. Do you normally need a line of sight? Uh, well, Troy does uh, mention, you know, sort of general feelings from the crew, uh, but it might be more of a, uh, yeah, I can kind of sense that there's people around and their general state of affairs, but I can't get much detail about it. I just yeah. know that they exist. Because otherwise well, that means like, that you're I can like... See, you know, no. That guy on deck uh, 15, he's, he's thinking <laughs> about the one thing there right now, and it's driving me nuts, guys. I guess it could imply that, like, if you're on Beta Z, you could, like, hear your neighbor's thoughts all the time. That has interesting implications for how they, they as a society, would think about and value privacy. Indeed. <laughs> you know, uh, they perhaps don't value it very much, or they do, and uh, they sort of have constructed certain uh, social or, uh, I guess, tele telepathic rules uh, to uh, you know, allow certain things to sort of uh, re remain on the uh, you know the, the quiet side, so you don't necessarily have you know every random thing that pops into your head suddenly being the gossip of around town. Yeah, they might just have they might just not value privacy, and that could tie into their obviously no value of modesty. Mm -hmm. as, as exemplified by naked weddings, which we'll get to a lot more later. <laughs> it is kind of interesting because the way that I think this this sort of discussion is interesting on these like not really fleshed out Star Trek races and characters because it's so incredibly obvious that no one thought this through. <laughs> it's a bunch of like disconnected little bits that someone thought would be interesting at the time. Yes. <laughs> and it's really f interesting to see which bits work out cohesively and which bits don't. It's, it's can wrap us up into all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, pretzel knots and things like that as we try to <laughs> make excuses, I guess, for the various points. But that can be fun. It can mm -hmm. also be a little pointless and silly. So don't mind us. <laughs> that's that's the real problem with, with the canon argument is no yes. person trying to write an interesting and compelling show should have to look through like 400 episodes of backstory for whatever the hell they're trying to write about and make sure nothing ever contradicts even on the tiniest level. Yep. <laughs> I mean like you know Doctor Who uh, like you know, has like people on the staff there that are that's their whole job uh, to go uh, actually but even then they're like no we want to write an interesting story so we're going to ignore you this time well and then they just go like but time travel nonsense exactly yeah <laughs> timey wimey again it strikes <laughs> so yeah i mean it, that that uh that's kind of all that i could that i could have that's all i've been thinking about it's not yeah, not well, a ton guess, here is there <laughs> yeah not really but uh i do uh i do I, I did have fun with this one here, uh, you know, even though there were some really awkward moments. Yeah, it's always fun. And I do wish that they had let her be a slightly more fleshed out character than just constantly looking for husbands. Yeah. Where's, where's her, like, suddenly showing up and leading a commando unit of Beta Zeds during the, during the Dominion War? You know? <laughs> Well, she's probably not someone who's uh, interested in actual fighting there, but uh, 
you know, maybe a uh, uh, like a, a delegation's like, hey, my homeworld got taken over, and uh, you know, would you come help with this at all? Maybe. <laughs> I still think it would have been great if they all got stuck in a corner, cornered in somewhere, and then suddenly everybody just falls down because they've gotten psychically overwhelmed, and then she just <laughs> wanders out. It's like, oh, oh, hey, how y'all doing? <laughs> hey, guys. Yeah, these uh, <laughs> Jim Hadar are, are really nasty fellows, yeah. but. They're really, really susceptible to uh, certain uh, psychic pulses. <laughs> you know, just, uh, you know, give them the right command word and they just fall over. What, what do you mean command word? <laughs> well, just pretend like you're a, a founder talking to them and tell them to take a nap and they will. <laughs> it's easy. Everyone should try it. <laughs> yeah. I don't got much more here either. Right, so Yeah. So we need to distract ourselves with the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the galaxy's favorite game show. Where our various contestants have been racking up plenty of prizes and just kind of hanging out, taking it easy otherwise. I hope you are taking it easy as well. Geppen, are you taking it easy? Very easy. Excellent. Nothing to say. (laughs) Too easy, some might say. Hmm. The easiest way to go is uh, actually to start with uh, handing out the prizes here, because uh, otherwise I'll just start talking real slow like this. And that might not be conducive. Anyway, so the first prize is going to Mr. Holm, the Mr. Holm prize, uh, which is the Mr. Holm prize. Goes to Mr. Holm for being amazing as Mr. Holm. And also drinking a lot, again. What does he win? Mr. Home wins Mr. Home for being Mr. Home and for doing Mr. Home and for just being the most Mr. Home. Excellent. I can approve of that. I think Mr. Home would approve of it, too. Anywho, our second prize is the Garbage In Murder Out prize, which goes to Picard and the ship's computer for their general failure to communicate in that whole setting up a non-murder-prone holodeck program. Uh, What do they win, Gepwin? They win... Any media created any time in the last 400 years. Because <laughs> even their holodeck s- stories are just computer read this old novel series and make me a thing. Indeed. Like uh, maybe uh, take a uh, some plot points from a different writer and put it in the uh, style of this author here. Maybe if anyone made something, you know, specifically for this medium of interactive entertainment you Mm -hmm. might have something that had some more options yes (laughs) some sort of i don't know hollow novel sort of situation Hmm. anywho our third and final prize for this week is the tv love story prize which goes to loxana troy and whoever happens to show up who catches her attention but mostly picard actually uh what does she win gepwin loxana gets to take holodeck technology back to beta Z because it seems like really the the most humane way to handle this entire situation they've got going indeed yeah you, you know you don't get to marry your holograms but you uh can have a long-lasting relationship that's as monogamous as you like with it uh and you know rex can be uh, handsome and uh, tell you how beautiful you are over and over again forever have fun Anywho, that's all I got here for this week, and, uh, you know, I'm going to go take it easy. (laughs) Yeah, you take it easy, and I'll say thank you to everyone for joining us here on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Mr. Holm. Yeah, he is the best. Next mm-hmm. time we, so next time, uh, it it sounds like we are jumping to DS Nine. <laughs> Almost, yeah. <laughs> but but no no, uh, no we're not doing that yet. Not yet. <laughs> but uh, we are uh, having some Emmerserian um, uh, uh, sort of encounters. Yeah, good, good conjugating there. <laughs> good job. That definitely sounded like English. 
yes, the, uh, the the most emissarian uh, episode we can uh, possibly have here. <laughs> so yeah, next next time we have the emissary, which has nothing to do with Bajor, the prophets, the the wormhole, their whole deal. Yeah, no, no Cisco in this one, you know. No yeah. weird orbs that are actually like barbell shaped. Yeah, I mean th- this is a really interesting idea. That so I like it. I like mm-hmm. I like the idea of the episode. It's fun. Yes. Um, this this is when uh, we get we get uh, you know Kirk's love interest. Kirk's love interest is here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's fun. I like her. <laughs> She's also uh, shown up before as different species. It happens. <laughs> and she will show up <laughs> later as it does yet another species. Yes. Uh, yeah, just keep iterating it through. It's fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Next next time we've got a Klingon-centric episode with, uh, you know, with, with Worf's, Worf's whole, you know, weird drama. <laughs> and a lot of uh a lot of klingon names with hard stops in the middle that make them kind of fun to yell yeah going back tactical crewman wait yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, that the well-known klingon character tactical crewman <laughs> Oh, Brian. <laughs> I mean, you just have to put a harder stop in there. Oh, Brian. Oh, Brian. <laughs> oh, Brian. Yeah. Because in English, it just denotes a minor pause. And in some other languages, it denotes a gut stop, which is something we don't have in English that's so really hard for us to do. Hmm, maybe uh, pull a ski. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like that. <laughs> da, da. <laughs> Anyway, we got Klingon drama, which is when we entered the like. I just, I just do enjoy that this '90s ish era of Star Trek just has like Dune happening, just mm-hmm. over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got you know uh, some uh, you know crazy uh, you know uh, Klingon politics, and you know who's going to be the uh, the guy in charge, and uh, you know is there Quizat Hatterack really all up up through the stuff here or are we going to be uh, dealing with romulan instead yeah we've got we've got the federation with high concept science fiction the world is perfect we live without scarcity and we help others and we are so altruistic they're the great houses are at battle and fighting over the spice <laughs> <laughs> we have you know assemble the fleet we're going to try to win this uh, you know confrontation and take down the enemy houses and etc et <laughs> he et has ridden shahalud the maker <laughs> <laughs> now i'm gonna cover myself with little sandworm babies and then i'm going to be all like i'm now the emperor so long clone kalos <laughs> yeah if we do if we do the new dune movies at some point because i just watched the first one we will have a uh four-hour-long movie that is a 20-minute synopsis because 90% of it is sweeping shots of sand. <laughs> well, I guess we can fill up uh, some of the time by just saying Dune, Desert Planet, and all that. <laughs> that, that. That line's not even in it. I know, right? I know. <laughs> Wait, what happened to the princess and all of her, her yeah. weird little meta-commentary? Yeah, and... Uh... Well, uh, you know, we could always like have a weird mashup with like the uh, the David Lynch film and the uh, sci-fi miniseries at the same time, and really confuse people. Oh uh, yeah, we would confuse the snot out of everyone. <laughs> and then suddenly there was a a dog fight because we had to get our action quotient. And oh, sorry, that's the wrong uh, d- <laughs> version here. <laughs> we could just we could just take any scene that they skip and just throw in one from the one of the other ones. Yes. Between the three of them, I'm sure they've adapted the entire book. Probably, <laughs> and you know, and more so. <laughs> anyway, if if like leave a leave a comment if you want to to also have a Dune podcast, apparently, <laughs> where we just go through all of Dune somehow yeah. from multiple sources simultaneously. I mean, that wouldn't be much different than us just like saying funny names at each other. 
Hmm, yes. Yeah. Then, then Duncan Idaho shows up. You're like, yeah. well, this name's like funny because it's who names the kid Idaho, but you know, it's like one of the more normal ones. <laughs> so I've been reading through the um, the Mortal Engines series, and he does a whole thing with like you know people barely remember the old world, so you have people named Nabisco. Yeah. <laughs> I'm suddenly uh, uh, remembering uh, the uh, the postman. Uh, uh, where uh, the, the Ford uh, character is like, yeah, I named my name after the that thing over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the well, is, is that Walmart in uh, in Resident Evil Apocalypse? I don't was it know Kmart? if I saw that one. <laughs> that was in the Resident Evil movies really, truly went off the rails. <laughs> I, I, I did catch a few clips of some of the later ones, and it's like, all right, so we're suddenly at the White House and it's being surrounded by zombies and there's like just people mowing them down constantly forever. Probably. I mean, it's hard to uh, say whether that's from one of the... Is that from one of the live action movies or is that from one of their new cartoons? Because they sound about the same on that front. <laughs> so uh, there, 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 there's some weirdness going on here and I'm not entirely sure what's up. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but ne- next time we won't talk about any of that, or maybe we will. Depends on how tired and bored we get. And uh, yes. but but mostly we'll be talking about about Star Trek and Klingons. Yes, <laughs> Klingons. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Klingon wake up call. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcasts, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>